at Sastock Remote this March 22nd to 24th, 2,000 SAS founders, CEOs and execs just like you will come together and leave fully equipped with the ultimate how-to guide for SAS. Our lineup of expert speakers, including Chris Voss, Jeffrey Moore, April Dunford and more, will simply give you the answers to the how-to questions you've been Googling. Join the only how-to event in SAS. Register for free by visiting sasdoc.com forward slash remote dash 2022. When I think about discovery, I think about it from a perspective of a two-way conversation. So it's not an interrogation. For me to do effective discovery, I need to be having a conversation with you and I need to be able to have your trust um, to be able to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. So I, I call this like two-sided discovery where one-sided discovery is where I'm extracting information out from you so I can therefore use it in my sales pitch to, to show you why my solution is appropriate for you. Two-sided discovery is where I do that, but by in the process of doing that, I also make you feel the pain of the situation. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Andy White, who's the CEO of Medic. Welcome, Andy. Hey, Alex. Great to be on the show. I've been a long-time listener, obviously a big, big fan of you and the, the community and business you've created. So it's great to great to be here. Thanks, Andy. Well, uh, you know, great to have you on on the show. Uh, and obviously, we've got you speaking at SaaS Remote uh, very soon. I think it's on the the twenty third of March. Your your particular talk. So uh, excited about that. We'll come back to that uh, in a bit. Um, always great to have listeners uh, uh, on, on the show uh, as well. Um, I guess, Andy, you know, we always start, um, you, you know, with getting to know who our guest is. Uh, and then for the audience, you know, please do uh, to start with telling us who a little bit about who is Andy White. Yeah, sure. I like that question. Um, who is Andy White? So I guess most important things in my life, I'm a, I'm a dad, husband, try to be a good friend, all that kind of good stuff. And then I guess what the audience is a little bit more interested in is, you know, more about my professional self. And I, I always just describe myself as a salesperson. That's kind of my, what I've been doing most of my career. And um, I think that a lot of us are more are more into sales than what we probably realize as well. So I, I, I like to lean into that quite a lot. So I'm a, I'm a sales guy turned founder. Um, and yeah, I work predominantly pretty much the entire part of my career in terms of like percentage wise has been in SaaS. So selling SaaS and leading sales teams that sell SaaS. Awesome. And uh, what is the, uh, I'm going to have to ask, I'm seeing these, these helmets behind you. <laughs> uh, what is the significance of those uh, uh, to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Formula One fan. So I, I love Formula One. And, and interestingly, I, I often think this is an interesting thing. As much as I like the racing, I actually really enjoy the, the business element behind Formula One, the kind of, you know, the, the driver market, the sponsorships, the, the, the research and development race that goes on throughout the season. So for me, it's a really interesting sport from not just perspective of what happens on the track, but probably more so what happens off the track. So I, I love having these little miniature helmets um, of my favorite drivers. So we've got, you know, everyone from everyone will be very familiar with Senna and, of course, the, the great Sir Lewis Hamilton and, and a number of great drivers in between. 
Who's your current favorite uh, driver? Um, I'm sure like uh, you're probably looking forward to, uh, you know, the, the upcoming edition of Drive to Survive. But uh, yeah, who's your current favorite driver in, on the circuit at the moment? Yeah, well, actually, the, the answer to the second part of that question or the second thing you said there might actually give it away. I'm not looking forward to Drive to Survive because I am a Sir Lewis Hamilton fan and okay. I'm obviously still a bit sore about what happened at the end of last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um, a quite unbelievable uh, race. But um, yeah, uh, I think after, I know this podcast is not about Formula, Formula <laughs> One. It, it's about SAS. And today we'll specifically be talking about sales. But uh, I mean, just to, to note, I, I guess, because maybe some people can you know get something from it. But I was a big Formula One fan for many years throughout my childhood, you know, my teens, probably into early 20s. And at that point, I kind of started to lose touch, maybe because, I don't know, you get busier in life or, you know, whatever the reasons are, um, and um, maybe more hungover, you know, hangovers on a Sunday or something <laughs> like that at that at that point, you know, in, in time. But, uh, yeah, started to lose touch a bit. And then, you, you know, recently with Formula One, you know, and, it, and it's been on, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember how much I used to love this and I kind of want to watch it, but I just don't know anybody. You, you know, I don't know any of the drivers. I don't really care about them. Obviously, I know... Uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton. Uh, but then I started watching, because there were so many recommendations, you know, to watch Drive to Survive, right, um, uh, from, you know, a, a lot of people I knew. So I started watching it, and then it just really got you kind of like sucked in, and you started to yeah. care about drivers and say, oh, you know, I really like Pierre Gasly, and, you know, you know something about and, and and so on, and get to know the drivers. And that got me back into, you know, being a fanatic again, and, and I think very similar with a lot of my friends. So I think then, I don't know, there's probably some sort of marketing lesson there um you know that people can kind of get from that uh and probably you, you know uh, people listening can articulate it themselves sort of better than me but uh um but yeah like now i'm, I'm back into it and i'm determined this year that i'll be going to uh, uh, an f1 race i don't know where Great. but i'm Love gonna it. go i'm gonna go so i think yeah. it's i think on that point if we dig into what 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 inspired you and and, and genuinely millions of people i think because i think drive to survive has been great for the sport is is the is storytelling it's storytelling. Yep. And I think, you know, we, we talk about that so much in our world of, you know, startups and, and sales in particular. And I think what Drive to Survive did was put the stories around the, the sport. And, um, you know, there's a that's probably a great case study of taking something that always, you know, it's not like Drive to Survive didn't give the drivers a script and say, right, we yep. want you to have this saga. The sagas created themselves and Drive to Survive told the stories. And I think that's yep. that's a real skill in business as well as it is in uh, in our personal lives and things we're social about 100 percent, 100 um so andy you've been in SaaS uh, a large part of your life you've been in sales for or, or almost uh, all your professional uh, yeah. career uh, and then you decided to become a founder uh, I, I guess before we get into the company that you founded why did you want to move from you know uh, selling other people's SaaS products and you know moving from an exec SaaS role into becoming a founder yeah, it's a great question that has a has a funny answer, which is that I I, I didn't intend to. Um, what what my career path looked like and what I what my goal was, and this was up until you know less than a year ago, was I wanted to be a CRO, Chief Revenue Officer, in a in a large SaaS company. That was kind of like my my sort of north star, if you like. And I was on that path. You know, I'd, I'd had a successful individual contributor career, and I'd moved into sales leadership, and I was starting to make my way up that ladder. And what I realized as I attended great events in our industry and webinars, all this kind of thing, was the people talking about 
achievements they'd had in our industry, particularly in sales, I was starting to think, well, we're, you know, we're doing that. We're doing a lot of that. And sometimes for me, what they're talking about as an achievement is almost like table stakes. And it left me feeling like, well, hang on a minute. How, how can I show the good that I'm doing more to help me towards that goal of, of where I want to get to in my career? So I thought, well, you know, it's got to be about brand. So I've got to start putting myself out there. Um, and so I started writing because that was the easiest thing to do. And I kind of figured out if I write, then, you know, maybe if I write well, other opportunities will come from that. So I started writing about the things I knew about, things in my sales leadership playbook, things like pipeline generation, things like hiring, all the important things we know that are really important in uh, a SaaS revenue business. And I also wrote about a methodology, a qualification framework methodology called Medic, often known as MedPick as well. And what I noticed was anytime I wrote about that, I got like 10x the amounts of views and I even got lots of feedback. And I started to have this weird realization that everywhere I looked with the most elite organizations in our industry, you know, the, the ones that are the MongoDBs, the sprinklers, the snowflakes, the ones that are right at the top of the A-list of our industry, they all used medic or medpick. There was no question of doubt about that, but nobody was talking about it. No one was sort of saying, you know, like, this is the best ways of using it. This is how you implement it. Here's like the challenges, anything like that. No one was doing that. And I thought, well, I should do more of this. And what I real, what I said to myself was, oh, I'll write a book. And um, I don't know if you've ever done that. I'm sure people listening along, there's many people who thought, oh, you know, I've got a passion or something I'm knowledgeable about. I should write a book about that. And you might have the best intentions in the world. I've got like, I'm pretty, like I've never been diagnosed, but I, I would bet every asset I've got in the world that I have ADHD. And so, you know, writing a book is, is, is challenging for most people, particularly for, for someone with the way that I have a challenge with concentration. So I never actually thought I would do it, but I was still working towards it. And for a while, when I was, you know, running a a region of a of a SaaS company in EMEA, um, and I was flying around for customer meetings and stuff, it would be what I would do on flights because there was no Wi-Fi, and so it would be the way I passed the time. And it started, to, and I just thought it would turn into a blog post. What actually happened was COVID happened. Everyone started working from home. All of a sudden, I was four hours a day richer because I didn't have to commute to London and back. And I thought, well, this is my time. This is the only time I'm ever going to have to do something like this. And so I got the book done. And But still, for me, the book, when it came out, was supposed to be a, a sort of a slightly large portrait version of a business card, right? It was supposed to help me on this path I was trying to go on to be a CRO. But then as more people, as the book got more attention, more people started to talk to me about it. I thought that there's a, a much bigger opportunity, which was that, like I said, everybody I spoke to that was credible felt that Medic was a sensational uh, addition to their business. A gr- you know, that so many of the best organizations run on it, but there was these two kind of challenges. One was that because it's kind of open source, there's no c- official commercial entity behind it. There was no official kind of, you do know medical, you don't. So what you'd have is people saying they knew it, but they didn't actually have a, a decent level of understanding. And then there's a second challenge around like operized, I always struggle with that word, operationalizing yeah. it, um, which is where you bring it into your sales process and you bring it into your everyday thing. So I, I thought there was a big opportunity there, which kind of put, took me off the path I was on and thought, well, I could probably create something here. And then it's just, it's sort of just gone from there, really. So it wasn't ever my intention. It was more organic from spotting an opportunity and leaning into that to help me towards my career goal. And then seeing that there was a much bigger opportunity there to, to help organizations. Awesome. Um, and then I guess kind of the, for those that are listening, like what does medic stand for? Like I'm assuming yeah. it's an acronym. 
Uh, yeah. Probably a good, a good start to point. Uh, a good a good point to start even uh, and then you know from there maybe let, let's kind of like dive into that so we say like you know some of the, the top SaaS companies are using it um, let's learn why are they using it you know what does it do what are the benefits of it etc and just kind of take us through it like step by step yeah sure thing so the best way I've kind of come around to describing what medic is and and and, and as you say is an acronym Hence why there's also MedPick, which is just including a P as well, and we'll get to that. Um, the best way I think of describing it is to is to orientate everyone's minds back to what's really critical when we're focusing on selling to customers. And for me, it's three things. The first is selling on value, particularly in our you know our industry where we're selling you know more complex or value driven solutions. So the first thing is value. The second thing is stakeholders, and of course, there's a lot of crossover with value and stakeholders because you know if you're selling. Let's say you're selling a technology that a lot of people would understand listening, something like a marketing, an advertising marketing technology. So to the marketeer, the the, the value you're selling is that it's going to help them get more leads or um, more brand awareness or something like that. Whereas the CFO, the value you're selling to them is you might be able to save them some money on their advertising spend kind of thing. So even though there's the same value there, it's different people have different perceptions of what the value is. So that's where the stakeholders come in the first part. The second part is, of course, multi, you know, deals these days, opportunities these days have multiple stakeholders. So it's about understanding who is involved, what they care about, and and engaging with them appropriately on that basis. And then the third part is around the process. And it's the often forgotten about part of sales, which is, you know, if we were to, I always say this, if we were to open LinkedIn right now and start scrolling through either of our feeds, I would put lots of money on the table to say that we would find hundreds of posts about demand generation, about cold calling, about videos, emails, all that sort of stuff. We'd probably find, you know, one in every 50 about value creation around, you know, um, conversion rates and around average order value, we'd never find anything about the time it takes to close opportunities, which actually is probably one of the most impactful levers for a, for a software company is how, how quickly can you close those opportunities you're going to win. So process is a, is a big, big part of it. And also another part of process is if you think about so often what we're doing now, we're we're not we're working outbound. We're we're sparking the interest with our customers, and before we do that, our customers don't even know that they need us or that they could value from our solutions. So that part of the process is actually how do we get somebody from being sort of spark a spark of interest into turning it into a proper project that you know, and then f- right through to, to to procuring it through to going live. So those three those three sort of pillars, if you like, value stakeholders and process. I don't think anyone would argue are critically important in sales. But if you say to you know somebody like you know a, a founder who is you know ultimately most commonly the first salesperson for an organization. Yeah, you just need to focus on value. You need to focus on the stakeholders and the process. It's a well, it's like, what do you do with that, right? So where I think MedPick really, really helps is that it's, each letter correlates to different parts of those three pillars and almost provides like a framework for the person to follow. So if we just go through it, um, I'll go out, I'll go through how the acronym works. So metrics, yep. that's the quantification of the value that your solution provides. That's, you know, if, if you're, if you prefer, if you imagine the before situation, before your solution, and then the after situation, uh, you know, the, 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 the struggle and then the, uh, the utopia state afterwards, what's the delta of value between the two? Is it an increase on revenue of X? Is it an increase on efficiency? That's the metrics. The economic buyer is the second letter and that's the overall authority. That's the person who has veto power on your deal. Mm. People often mistake this for being the budget owner. 
Um, it's, it's the person above the budget owner. It's the person that creates the budget for the budget owner is probably the best way of describing it. So it's really important you engage with that person because they can have a really big impact on the success of your opportunity. Then you've got two Ds. The first one um, is decision criteria. This is when a customer is making their decision, what are they basing their decision on? What's their decision criteria? And, and the most elite salespeople don't just focus on making sure that their solution matches the customer's decision criteria. They focus on influencing the customer to see the world the, the way that they see the world, align with their vision so that they their your your decision criteria as the vendor becomes the decisions criteria, the customer's decision criteria. And then we're into the process side of things. So that's the first D, which is decision process. That's what I said a second ago. How do we go from an idea of a, a spark of an interest through to the buying process, through to the closing process, through to the, you know, the whatever happens thereafter? Um, and then the addition to that, why it uh, medic becomes medpick is paper process. And that's just come around because when medic was created, I think in 1995, um, you didn't have SaaS, you didn't have cloud, you didn't have DPAs. SLA, all the all these additional three letter acronyms, funnily enough, that, that make our jobs harder to get contracts signed didn't exist. And it's the number one reason why deals don't close on time is because of the paper process. So drawing out an additional letter draws additional attention to it, which therefore means that you know more focus means more, more um, attention and, and less likely of deals slipping as a result. So that's the paper process. Then you're into the I, which is often classed and was originally classed as identify the pain. For me, I say the word implicate the pain because I don't think it's enough to simply identify pain. I think we have to get deeper. We need to implicate the pain in the, cu in the customer's eyes so that they want to take action, so they feel urgency. So there's a difference there for me. Um, then we're up to the first of two C's. The first C is champion, which I think most of the audience listening will, will understand the concept of having a champion, which is someone in the customer's business that's championing you. In medic, how it's different is it's a very clear criteria. It's three things. They have to have power and influence. They have to be selling internally for you, and they have to have a vested interest in your success. So it's really clear. If you don't have those three criteria, it's okay. They're still a useful person. But we, we need to find someone that has those three things to be our champion. And then the last one, competition, which might sound really obvious. You think about your rival solutions. For me, it's much more than that. Competition is any one person thing, initiative, project that's going to rival your project, your your deal for the same budget and or resources. So I've lost a deal before of selling some software, some marketing software. Um, I didn't lose it, actually. It slipped, but it was pushed down the priorities list because the, 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 the project manager who was going to run the implementation had been moved to manage an office refit. So you'd never class a, a, an office refit as competition for SaaS, but it was competition for me because I lost the battle for some reason that was seen as more urgent internally. So I got pushed down the urgency So, you know, competition. And that can also be, you know, building internally. It can be um, other, other, you know, initiatives that may, you know, so often in SaaS nowadays, you think about the Venn diagram of how many people kind of cross over what we do. It can be one of those solutions as well. So it's really important to kind of, I always say, stay on the front foot um, with all of those things. We're picking up on a couple of uh, the, the the letters in, in the acronym, the the Im implicate pain uh, thing that is uh, very sort of interesting. Uh, can you give an example of how you would do that? Um, uh, maybe we'll start with that. Yeah, great, great point. So for me, 
the the difference, if I sort of define this a little bit, I actually put three eyes together. I talk about identifying the pain, indicating the pain, and then implicating the pain. And the difference between those three in SaaS terms is identifying the pain is where the salesperson sort of stumbles across something. And I say stumble because it, you can genuinely just stumble across it. It doesn't take much skill, I think, to uncover these things. Um, and that's just, you know, you've got this problem. Okay, great. Let me let me hurry up and jump to slide 17 so I can show you how we solve that problem. And, you know, okay, that's okay. It's better than not finding the problem, but it, it's not great. Um, indicating is what we do, I would say, is is I, w- I, w- I wouldn't even say it's best practice anymore. I'd say it's like table stakes now, which is where we talk about ROI. We do business cases and things like that. So that's saying, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, you've got this pain. Um, this this is how much it's costing you. Here's the numbers that back it up based on benchmark data or you know our own research or something like that. The implication is where you do all those two things and then you make the customer feel so implicated by the pain they absolutely have to take action. And so to your question of how we get there, for me, it's it's around it is all around discovery. It's all around, but when when I think about discovery, I think about it from a perspective of a two-way conversation. So it's not an interrogation. For me to do effective discovery, I need to be having a conversation with you and I need to be able to have your trust um, to be able to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. So I I call this like two-sided discovery where one-sided discovery is where I'm extracting information out from you so I can therefore use it in my sales pitch to to show you why my solution is appropriate for you. Two-sided discovery is where I do that, but by in the process of doing that, I also make you feel the pain of the situation. So as you're starting to talk to me about your situation and I'm, and all I'm really doing is just digging deeper. I'm just, you know, the most basic part of discovery is just to kind of echo back what you say or reflect on what you say and ask you, you know, questions just to, to get a little bit deeper. It's not, it's not, you know, there's not any special script or anything like that. It's just asking the, the customer, you know, what, what does that mean? And, and just almost, you know, I'm sure many people have, have heard of Chris Voss, um, the, the, the former FBI negotiator. He, he calls this mirror ring where you just reflect back what the customer says they say you know i've got a i've got a we've got a problem with downtime on our website and you say you've got a problem with downtime on your website and they go yeah it's costing us um you know it's go- oh, it's going down at least once a day it's going down once a day yeah and it's costing us like five percent of our revenue five percent of your revenue you know and all of a sudden you're you're just and by them answering that they're, they're getting more and more implicated in the pain that you solve. And of course, you won't get here. This is this is all very easily said. You won't get to this point where you're able to dig in like that and have the customer open up to you unless you've been able to be seen by that customer as being authentic and genuine and trustworthy. And they're not just going to tell you all their problems because they want you to do a better pitch for them. They're going to tell you problems if they feel like you can genuinely offer them value and solutions to helping them, which is, of course, that's a bit of a catch-22, which, by the way, um, I didn't intend for this to be an advert, but that's kind of what I'm talking about in my uh, in my SaaS stock uh, talk coming up later this month. So, yeah, that, I promise you that wasn't intended to be an advert, but you asked the question that took me there. Yeah, awesome, and I, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll jump onto that um, the, the specific talk in a, uh, in a bit. And so, in terms of medic and medpick, you know, are these would you say logically really just for the, the the complex sale, more you know, mid to enterprise, or are you seeing any of this kind of used in a more kind of SMB uh, uh, sort of way as well within SaaS? Great question. So historically, it's been more towards the complex enterprise sale. Um, but then again, what is what is an enterprise sale today, right? You know, some people do it based on the amount of employees. Some people do it in the amount of revenue. Some people do it, you know, if you think about it, I, I always use this example. If I am selling 
um, an e-commerce solution um, to a company that has a thousand employees or a, you know, a, a billion of revenue, you'd assume it's enterprise. But if I'm selling that e-commerce solution to BT so they can use it internally so staff can order, you know, high-vis jackets, it's probably not so much of an enterprise sale. So I always kind of want to dig deeper into what that is. For me, if you go back to those three pillars, if it's important you focus on uncovering and illustrating the value and there's multiple stakeholders and then there's going to be a process, even if it's a short process, that's where MedPit can really, really help. So I have organizations that have, you know, large organizations that have all of those divisions, you know, like named accounts that are, you know, one or two accounts per salesperson to the enterprise where they have 20 accounts, the sort of the, the commercial where they may have 50, 100 accounts through to the, you know, the, the, the SMB, as you would say, SME, um, where people have a thousand accounts and they they still use MedPick, but they just use it relative to the complexity. They use it relative to the, the depth of the sales process. So they may not um, go as far at like building out certain parts of it, but they will still focus on those, those components to help them stay on the front foot. Awesome. And I guess for the, the listeners, I mean, say this is not uh, in any way intended to be an advert uh, for you, but just to understand how do you, how are you working with SaaS companies? What is the benefits? If you're saying that, Medic is open source. It's been around since 1995, but you're kind of you've written the book now. Um, you, you know, kind of on Medic. Is it that you know people read the book and this is the benefit that they get, or like you know what is the what is the value in the relationship that you have with SaaS founders, SaaS companies? Yeah, good question. So I think. I think one of the things, like I like I was the reason why you know why I ended up on this path was that there's there's no sort of question, as I said, with anyone that's credible about. Medic, MedPick as a fit for, for for sales. There is a real shortage of people helping organizations to be enabled on it. So there's some there's a there's a few consultancies out there that kind of will come in and help train your team to use Medic and they'll do a very good job. Um, and, and that's a good thing if you've got your team together. But then the ongoing enablement, the ongoing um, the ongoing operalization of it got it right that time um, uh, all those types of things are are, are more challenging, I think, today. So what what we're doing is helping organizations to not just know what med medic is, not just know what those letters are, but bring it into reality with real tactics, real strategies that means that you can bring them into your pipeline straight away. You can use the methodology straight away. And, and what that means is that it becomes much more actionable. And one of the, one of the goals that organizations want to get to with Medic, and it, one of the great, great benefits of it is it becomes like a common language that you use across your revenue team to talk about customers, to talk about opportunities. And the more people using it, the more people um, using the tactics around it, the more it becomes a common language. And then you get all of the benefits with it, which is like a, a cohesive conversation. You get very concise um, updates. You you start to have what the way that we describe life without medic is you kind of have this uncertainty when you think about your deals, you, you kind of, you suspect things, but you don't know. So you have this deal uncertainty. We, we talk about afterwards that you have, you know, visibility, in, in where you are with the deal. You have control in where you are with the deal. So it's kind of command and control of the two kind of parts you get afterwards. So what we're, what we're very much helping organizations to do is to bring everyone up to that level where everyone is kind of fluent in the language so that they can then be empowered to kind of use it across internal meetings and then taking it to opportunities as well to keep themselves on the front foot. What would you say is the hardest thing about selling SaaS, selling a SaaS product? Well, I think I think it's a 
I think it's a it's 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 a very noisy world out there right now. Um, I, I have a friend who was formerly head of e-commerce, uh, you know, a, a, a large um, a large online retailer, and um, he showed me his inbox, and it was just you know, if you do the search for like SDR or BDR, it was just like every day, just a wall of emails to him, and some of them were really good, you know. Um, he just never had the time to get to them. So I think we've got this situation where our customers are much busier than they've been before. They have more responsibilities. They have more options. And, and what happens with that is it's not just about capturing their attention, but it, it, what also I think is happening is the dilution of their knowledge of technology. Because you know instead of knowing 10 marketing technologies like they would have done years ago, there's now 100 or 1,000 of them that they should know about. And so they won't. They just won't know. And so for me, the hardest thing about selling SaaS nowadays is creating urgency and then... Um, Keeping that urgency is one challenge. So you can get in front of a, you know, a, an ideal customer and you can, you can create some urgency about a, you know, a, a, a pain that you can solve and some value you can provide. But that's the first thing is keeping that urgency. The second challenge is around the, the differentiation of that urgency. What's to stop you going in, doing an, you know, you and your team doing an, you know, a genius job of capturing somebody's attention, going in where they never thought about a solution like yours before. You go in, you do a brilliant A, a star job of, a, of, of talking to that customer and getting them to buy into thinking, yeah, actually, we hadn't thought about this, but this would add lots of value. And then they go, well, you know, we always have to look at two other providers. That's our company policy, which is common sense, let's be honest. Um, and so they bring in your two rivals and your rivals come in and go, oh, cool, you want to do that? Yeah, we can do that as well. So it's around differentiation. It's not just creating urgency, but it's like differentiated urgency so that the customer, when they go to see those other two rivals of yours, they're, those rivals are automatically on the back foot because the customer has been um, influenced. And that, by the way, the, the word influence, I think, always sounds like we're mis-selling. We're not. We're, 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 if I always say this, if you're selling for a company, whether you're a founder, and obviously this would be the case if you are a founder or you're a salesperson, you should absolutely believe that your solution is the best for your customer. And you should, if you don't believe that, you, sh you should either leave that company or you shouldn't be talking to that customer. So when we talk about influencing, we're talking about for the right reasons. So we should go into that situation, create urgency, and then differentiate that urgency so that the value is either unique, as in we can only we can provide that value, or only we can provide value in that way. So when your rivals go in, they're on the back foot. But though that <laughs> that's easily said, much more difficult to, to achieve. So I think that's the hardest thing that's, that's out there for selling SaaS right now. In fact, thanks for sharing that. And we, 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 or you uh, touched on the fact, um, you, you know, on your talk that you're speaking at uh, Sasset Remote um, on March 23rd, which is a, a online conference. We've got a lot of great uh, speakers there, specialists. We've gone for something a little bit different this time. I think typically, if you look at a SAS conference, whether online or in person, we often have you know the top unicorn. SaaS founders, you know, within Europe and uh, and, and sometimes globally, uh, you know, a lot of operators and, you know, founders uh, that are in the seats, a lot of VCs. But sometimes uh, or, or less often, we don't have, let's say, the specialists, you know, who is the best in product management, you know, who is the the, the influencers and the thought leaders on, on, on sales and demand generation and who are the who are the founders, who are the listen, listeners of this podcast 
you know, reading and listening to. So we come up with the, you know, the SaaS remote uh, and, and really the, the concept is how to build, you know, an unbeatable SaaS business. Uh, a lot of how-to conversations uh, or pretty much all, all of the talks will be short, you know, sharp how-to conversations. So what is your talk? Uh, what's the title of your talk? Um, you know, who should be interested in uh, attending that? Yeah, you've got me there. I can't remember what the title is. I think you, 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 and your excellent editing team took my probably rather vague-sounding title and, and 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 sexed it up a little bit. So, have you got it? There? I can tell you what it's I, about. I think, which I think if I if I have one of my seventy-five tabs kind of open, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I'd find it. But uh, we'll probably drop it in the in the show notes. To, yeah, <laughs> maybe regarding the the specific title. But it, I, I guess in in general, uh, beyond the title. Like, uh, what do you? What will you be talking about? You know, and, yeah. and who should that be interesting for? Sure. What, what I'm what I'm talking about is how there is a a challenge that exists today where we as salespeople we 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 understand the critical importance. And when I say salespeople, I'm talking broadly about anyone. You know, even founders in early stage. There's there's this real challenge we have where we want we know the the importance of understanding our customers' challenges, goals, problems, all that sort of stuff. But actually, getting to a point where the customer Customers are happy to to engage with us and share those problems with us is a challenge, and it becomes a catch twenty two because they don't the customers don't want to tell us about their challenges and, and goals until they realise that we can help them solve those challenges and goals, and that's a catch twenty two, right? Because we can't prove that we can solve the goals until we know what they are, and so it creates this this predicament where sellers either launch into discovery, which is a bit like interrogation because the customer doesn't want it. So they're just asking, what's keeping you awake at night and all those kinds of questions, or they dive straight into a pitch. Neither of those are, are good strategies. So my talk is about how actually there is a tried and tested, in fact, it's probably the nucleus of sales in your company method in order to get customers to truly understand the value you provide in a manner that they want to hear about, um, that's going to open them up straight away into wanting to discuss with you how you can help them solve those problems because you have instant credibility. And um, and from there, of course, it's the perfect platform to, to build value and build uh, a sales uh, opportunity around. So that's kind of the talk. It's about how can we get away from this catch-22 of kind of interrogation slash discovery and more into value-based conversations based on something that you, you're, the founders of the company may have initially started doing. And then you kind of have that founder gap when you know founders hand over the reins to the sales team and then they, they tend to falter um, or they generally don't sell as well as the founder does. So how can we solve that gap a little bit and, um, and yeah, and keep that kind of momentum that the founder salesperson's built up? Awesome. Well, uh, I mean, I'll be hosting the event, so I'll, I'll definitely be tuning in. <laughs> but for the, for those that are listening, if that sounds you know kind of interesting, SaaS Remote is a free to attend event. Uh, you know, it, it's for founders, it's for execs. Um, you know, please do uh, you know go sasop.com forward slash remote and uh, uh, check it out and, and sign up. Uh, it's going to be a great two days uh, there. And uh, Andy, just kind of as, as we come to the end now, uh, where can people find Medic? Find you online if they wanted to reach out. Yeah, so we're, we're at medic.com and you can do medic with as long as you put two D's in the medic, you'll find us. Um, and um, best place to, to find me is probably on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm at white UK and I'm, I'm sorry, but my, my surname is spelt with a Y, not an I, which is, you know, probably as much as that's an inconvenience for you. It's I assure you it's more of an inconvenience for me. Um, and uh, of course, a good place to, to get started with, with if you if this is 
piqued your interest would be our YouTube channel. So, you know, that's uh, obviously completely free, completely open. If you want to find out a little bit more about what we do, head on over to uh, YouTube and, and type in medic and you, I'm sure you'll find us. Final, final question is because I'm just curious about this. Um, so as you say, medic uh, first written about in 1995, sort of roughly, but you've got medic.com. Uh, so when you search for that on GoDaddy or whatever it was, medic.com, like, was that available? Did you have to buy it or somebody? Or was that like, hey, I can't believe nobody's, nobody's registered yeah. this domain? It's a fact. Well, there's a couple of things here. There's a there's one which is that when I, like I said, when I started, I I I was just going to write a book to help my career. So I, I wasn't really thinking business orientated. So I just thought, well, I'm writing a book about medic. I should get the best dot com I can. And there's three variations of medic. There's medic two Ds one C, medic two Ds two Cs, and there's medpick um, as well. And medic.com with two Ds and two Cs was free. So I was like, well, that's it then. That's what I'll call the book, even though I've always practiced medpick. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing was medic.com um, with one C, which is kind of the, the original. And that's probably the, 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 the way that most people refer to the methodology was uh, not available. And it was, it was one of these funny things, which I'm sure a, a ton of the listeners will relate to. It was being sat on by a, a, a domain squatter and, when I Googled this domain squatter, it was just, if you Googled the person's name, it was just hundreds of these court cases where they, people are taking the domain squatter to court and won the case back. And I'm looking at this going, well, how much would it cost me to, to do this? Because I, I don't really have any rights to the name as much as the next person yep. at this point, right? So I, I, I paid. I, I put an offer in, actually. I think I put an offer in of... Um, probably about 70, 75% of what the list price was and, 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 and got it. So... Um, but yeah, I'm sure a lot of people listening along, we, you know, as founders, we, we love the domain name. We probably spend more time on picking the domain name and the company name than, than we should. So yeah, yeah um, that's my story with that one. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank, thanks for ending the show with that, that story. Uh, as we, I guess, we started on storytelling um, with the, mm-hmm. the drive to survive in Formula One. Uh, but it's been great speaking to you. Uh, looking forward to March the 23rd and, and your talk at, at SaaS.remote. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, thanks so much, uh, Andy White, CEO of Medic. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.